0: Recorded live. Hello and welcome to Hell, to Hell to the V podcast. This is Emily and today I'm joined by Holly griggs author of Sweetening the Pill or How We Get Hooked on Hormonal Birth Control. We are so excited to have Holly today. We've been talking about her for months. Everybody should go out and buy her book and listen to everything she has to say And Holly, I'm just going to get right in with some questions. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I'm not sure about everything I have to say. My husband might disagree with that, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah,
1: please do.
0: I'm a fan, I'm a fan. So I guess first of all, for those who haven't read the book, it would be great if you could just talk a little bit about, um, yeah, about what it's about and why you wrote it. Sure.
1: Um, Well, it started out as a blog, actually, um, which I wrote for a few years. Um, and I started writing the blog just before I decided to come off the pill um, completely after using it for about 10 years. And um, <clears throat> so I started this blog, and it was really from research I'd been doing about a particular kind of pill that had given me really bad side effects, which was Yaz. I think it's also called yasmin, um, There's similar formulations And I had all this research that I've been doing, hoping to get an article um, published about it. And I'm a journalist, a a freelance journalist now. Um, And so I decided to use that for a blog. And then the blog then became about me coming off the pill. And my experience doing that, but also me reading, like, having, like, I don't know what you'd call it, like my feminist awakening or something, I don't know. But I I was reading all these sort of books about uh, women's health history and, um, you know, feminism and Barbara Ehrenreich and Barbara Seaman, all the Barbaras, Um, (laughs) and reading all these books and realizing, you know, there's this. Not a lot out there that, um, you know, from the time that it was released in 1960, The Pill, um, that actually sort of saw it from a kind of critical point of view. Um, Pretty much everybody within different sectors of feminism embraced it and said, this is great, this is liberational, this is uh, freedom for women, you know, this is wonderful. Um, It became kind of almost like part of women's empowerment really and kind of a pillar of the women's movement as a whole and I found that really interesting because I didn't really have any kind of context to put my decision to come off in like I, I you know it was a struggle for me because I'd contrary side effects I didn't want to be on it anymore but at the same time it was a struggle because I'd been told all my life that this is what I was supposed to do and I you know, wasn't at a point where I wanted children, so I was still meant to be on on birth control, as they say in the U.S., and so I felt very um, confused about that, and kind of that, I started to explore why I felt so, um, this necessity to take it, and to keep taking it, sorry, that's my dog, um, <laughs> and to keep taking it, and to kind of, against my better judgment almost, and certainly against, you know, what I knew was good for my health at that point. Um, And so, yeah, the the, the blog was kind of a a mix of my personal experience and a lot of kind of theory, and I kind of hashed some ideas out, and then I left it for about a year. Um, I moved to L.A., and I sort of just moved on. And I came back to it and I put together a book proposal and um, I just decided it would be worth trying that out. And it took me some time to find a publisher to get the to, who were inter- who interested in the book. Um, I got a few articles published and and I got the book published and the book isn't really, it's not the blog per se, but the blog was kind of a place that I used to figure out what I wanted to say. And then I took it further in the book. Um, um, but the book mirrors the style in that the start and the end of the book are very much all about my personal experience. And the middle is kind of a lot of me sort of looking at different theories and ideas and different fe- what different feminists have had to say and kind of figuring out why the pill is on this pedestal and why, especially within the U.S., it's so difficult to have kind of a critical view or a critical discussion about... Um, you know millions of women taking hormonal birth control, sure,
0: oh, thank you for that and and what was what was your goal in in writing the book actually uh,
1: well, you know, I was a film writer before that. I wrote just film journalism um as I said, I wasn't a feminist I didn't write about women's issues um I wasn't you know, I, you know, maybe if you told asked me who I was a feminist, I would have said I was I wasn't practicing it in any particular way. Um and so, you know, I I just had this experience on, on Yasmin that was so profound and scary for me with the psychological and the physical side effects which I describe in the book that um, you know, I really was driven to try and figure that out for myself. You know, it was a very difficult period of my life and I felt the need to kind of figure out why it happened and how it happened, and you know why it was fine that it had happened, you know in the context of what I was hearing from my doctor and and so i I just wanted to kind of get my head around that I think, and that's how it kind of, that 's how it started but then once I did start writing about it, women got in touch with me through the blog, so i'd get emails from women telling me you know, their whole experience. And a lot of the time, you know, it was quite oddly similar to my own, Um, not in just, not in like generalized ways, like, oh, you know, they had depression or anxiety, but very specific ways. And I realized there were a lot of women out there who were going through the things that I'd gone through and they didn't think, they thought they were kind of an anomaly or they thought it was their fault or their body's fault for not dealing with the pill properly and so i realized that there was a definitely a, a a need there for that discussion and for these women to feel like their experiences were validated and that's what i wanted to feel too like it wasn't me it wasn't my fault um but also you know to to kind of figure out what that meant that so many women were emailing me you know why 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 were they um, having these experiences and emailing me about them, um, and what did that mean for what we were, whether we were helping women appropriately, or whether women were getting the support they needed in terms of contraception and their reproductive health. So, you know, I dedicate the book to. In the in the front, I dedicate the book to women who suffered from side effects of the pill because. You know, when I started to write about this, I realized very quickly that it's kind of almost like a weirdly taboo subject. Um, you you can talk about it, but only to the extent of like, well, you know, this pill didn't work for me or, you know, you always have to contextualize it with, you know, or the pill is great for most women or 99% of women, it's perfectly safe, et cetera. Um, in fact, somebody I know recently had a, an issue with the Marina IUD and did just that on Facebook. You know, 99% of women, this is great, but, you know, I almost died. I find it really interesting that women were forced to do that um, almost and felt they had some responsibility to do that. Um, and, you know, I, I want that's what I wanted to explore. I wanted to have a book come out and go, no, nah, hang on. You know, a lot of us don't like having to take these drugs and use these devices and we should be able to talk about it and uh, when you know it's we're not getting the support that we need and um, you know I think that's a conversation that needed to be had that wasn't going to be politicized I guess I was kind of against the idea of either side especially US political debate forcing women in one way or another to not be able to be honest about how they felt about their
0: contraceptive options. Right, absolutely. And for our listeners, could you just describe a little bit the side effects that you were experiencing and the side effects that you were discussing with these women so we can start to kind of understand your experience? Yeah, um, mostly uh, what I
1: talk about talked about on the blog um, and in the book are the psychological side effects. Um, which, you know, I had a very uh, bad experience with this one brand, Yasmin, but I had been on five, four or five different brands previously. And I'd always had usually sort of physical-based problems that I re- were the reason I'd swapped. And then I used this one brand for about two and a half years and I had this very insidious ex- um, side effect experience where um, I just had what I first kind of put down to quite severe PMS to then having what was quite severe PMS the whole month. And uh, that developed into something much more than severe PMS to becoming something that was more like kind of um, what they call subclinical depression, which has got elements of anxiety, low self-esteem, and kind of paranoia, social anxiety, feeling really... um, you know, uh, lacking in confidence and doubtful, um, feeling like you know it's kind of got elements as well as almost like obsessive compulsive disorder, where you feel like something bad's going to happen and to you or the people that you love. Um, it's interesting because some of these things that I was experiencing at the time, and other women were experiencing at the time, you know, you didn't really see them listed as side effects anywhere. But, you know, you you could put them under different categories, depression or anxiety but now they actually do list some of these specifically as kind of rare side effects in certain women which you know things are things as specific as like increased jealousy and mistrust of your partner or your friends and family um which i and many women experienced on yasmin which is you know when you're going through it, it feels like very very strange and you know, when you're off it, you go back and look at what you felt like at the time, and you really can't believe you ever got yourself to that extreme point. Um, but then I also had a lot of lot, sort of a, a lot of minor physical side effects, but grouped together, they were very debilitating. It was almost like having flu all the time, really. So it was kind of muscle aches and headaches and um, fatigue and getting kind of Sick with colds and utis and you know just infections and just a real low harm of like poor health for someone who was i was what twenty four twenty five at the time so um yeah, so it was a combination of all those things, and women mostly wrote to me with. about the psychological side effects because those are the ones that are really difficult to discuss with people because generally what you'll find is someone will say, well, it was probably your boyfriend or it was probably your job or, you know, they're always looking for something else. And, um, you know, the problem is, is most women, you know, are happier to go, well, yeah, maybe it was because it's hard to then have to go, okay, so the pill made me feel like that. What's next? And, And that's kind of what women were writing to me talking about
0: and what do you actually think is next i mean one of the things i love about the book is that it's so well researched in terms of um specifically the type of pill that you were on and you really looked at uh, people's complaints and how they've been dealt with but how are we actually dealing with these things now you said that some of the labeling has changed are we dealing with them are we supporting women
1: not really no
0: um, what happened with Yasmin
1: specifically over time, you know, the, there was research revealed that showed that, yes, the new progestin they used in that brand of pill, traspirinone, there are now generics out there, did have a specific serious physical effect on women, including causing serious injury and death, which is why we ended up having a lot of lawsuits in this country. And <clears throat> The problem was also raised in Europe, in France specifically, um, quite vocally. And so we discovered that actually what we saw as a new kind of safer, low-dose brand of pill actually has turned out to be more dangerous than older brands of pill. So that has come about, but it's still on the market. It's still widely used. It's actually very um, popularly prescribed to women with PCOS, which is They're actually quite worrying because women with PCOS tend to be in higher danger of having a blood clot um, anyway and developing venous from from And so now we're giving them the one pill that really um, has a much higher risk than not using the pill at all, but a higher risk also than older generation pills. And with, um, you know, other things that we've had out there that have had, you know, other newer um, kinds of contraceptives like the NuvaRine, for example, that's still on the market, even though considering the number of women who used it, which is pretty small in comparison to the pill, um, a lot of women were injured, a lot of women died, um, and there's a lot of corruption behind both the processes of re-evaluation of those methods. Um... You know, I I, when I was on Yasmin, I investigated why Yasmin specifically was the problem. At first, I didn't see the pill in general as the problem. I saw Yasmin as the problem. And you know, I had GCSE level science, really not very good. And I would look online and read (laughs) about what was in it, and read about how it was a potassium-bearing diuretic, and go, okay, so what's a potassium-bearing diuretic? Oh, okay, it does that. And then you'd read it and you go, oh, so it could cause this, this, and this physically. But if you change the levels of potassium in your blood, et cetera, it also has these psychological side effects. So, you know, I ended up figuring out, you know, when you have something like that, you also have something that is um, causing you to have, it's a very anti-androgenic, so you have slightly no testosterone. Um, that's really problematic for women's mental health as well. And so I figured that out, like, just doing that myself, which is how, you know, most women end up having to figure these things out these days. And no, unfortunately at this point I still meet women at parties who go, Oh, I'm on Yasmin and I go, look, you can be on the pill, that's fine, but just go back to your doctor and go on the different brands. Just don't be on that one. Because it's really not the best thing for you. But they're still prescribing it. I don't think they're perhaps prescribing it at the rate they were at its sort of heyday level, but it's you know, it's now in generic form, so you know, the the advertising has fallen off because they're not going to make as much profit from it. So these things kind of move along based on who's making money, really.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Um, In the book, you you really go, in my mind, you really do go into the rabbit hole and you really look at a specific pharmaceutical company, which I think is, is really important and also really brave to do so, and to do so publicly. Yeah, have you had any, any, <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. Have, you, have you had any any kind of response from that, or any kind of backlash?
1: Um, uh, very, very early on. I think when I was writing the blog, and I had a piece published in the Independent in the UK newspaper, I think that back at that point, I had I did have an email from Bayer Healthcare, which we wow. were talking about Bayer sharing. Wow, yeah. And they, it was just from one of their people. They call um, a compliance officer, uh, which sounds so Orwellian. It's almost like a joke. Yeah, but they have a compliance <laughs> officer, and they and the compliance officer goes, "Why aren't you compliant?" And then you know you have to tell them. And it's it's you know they they sort of framed it as doing research. But since then, I personally haven't been contacted. I've definitely seen through other projects I've been involved in the power of Bayer and Merck uh, to shut down articles, to shut down um, TV segments to really cause problems for people wanting to cover this subject. But I think the way that they've probably seen me is that, you know, my book was pretty small in terms of what the publisher in terms of You know, I didn't have any money behind it for publicity. It was all me. So they knew that. It wasn't like, you know, for example, I'm just currently reading a new book from Penguin out this week. And, you know, they get a piece in the New York Post and a piece in the Chicago Tribune. It's just, you know, de facto. That's what happens. So I think they weren't that worried. Um, But now, of course, it's becoming a documentary. And you know, Wonderful. I'm sure they're on high alert now because if that documentary ends up being even, you know, fifty percent as influential as the business of being born was is by the same filmmakers, then that could spell some trouble. I think the you know, the thing is is there's a sort of interesting side to this. So Bayer, um, for example particularly, for example, actually uh obviously took this kind of movement away from the pill, and I think you can call it that now. And they they registered it, and they kind of processed it, and it came back out the machine as a new campaign for the hormonal IUDs. And so they did this European-wide campaign, Canada-wide campaign, to get women to be more aware of, uh, which is really more women on the hormonal IUDs. And so they framed it as, you know breaking up with the pill, and it was all about how you know you need to break up with the pill because it's no it's not good you know for women anymore, they don't want to take it every day and has side effects that women don't want and they acknowledge the problems that women have with the pill, but only in the way that they needed to in order to create a branding and marketing campaign to push the hormone ieds it was a very, very you know clever kind of slightly sinister thing to do, but you know it's capitalism. Yeah. So everybody always says to me, "Oh, what's next?" I'm like, "Well, I'm not entirely optimistic because, you know, the way I see it, everything gets recuperated in the end. And unfortunately, the, the any rebellion that we that I hope or feel or think that I may have, you know, somewhat instigated or or suggested against, you know, the mass medicalization of women, healthy women, is always going to be." subsumed <laughs> to some degree unless something bigger changes um you know so we do. we'll see we're seeing that and then you know also we'll, we're seeing that the tech industry um coming in to kind of develop a way for women to approach their fertility that doesn't involve drugs but involves technology yeah so, can yeah. you tell me a little
0: bit more about that
1: yeah, it's really interesting. Just like this, just this morning, I saw a new piece of technology on Kickstarter. Um, it's like almost like every week there's something new, but it's all this kind of, there were the apps at first, which was a kind of what they call period tracker apps, but it's really like cycle tracking apps. And yeah. some of them are better than others. Um, You know, some of them you can really use to understand when you, you know, to help you understand and interpret and kind of monitor um, your fertility signs so you know when you're going to get your period, yes, but also when you're ovulating, when you're fertile and when you're not fertile. So women are using that for achieving pregnancy or avoiding pregnancy. And, you know, a higher and higher rate for um, avoiding pregnancy now than probably ever before. And now what we have is all the additional stuff so, you know, now you look at that situation, you think, well, you know, it's no it's basically a digitized version of using a pen and paper to track your cycle, which women have done for decades. Absolutely. Um, and now they're trying to figure out, well, how do we have other things that are around this that maybe will make it easier, more integrative? Um, make it more part of a modern woman's life, make it more approachable, um, p- potentially more effective. So now we have like a, you know, the Bluetooth uh, thermometers. So you're, you take your temperature, it goes immediately to your phone app. Um, or the thing you wear overnight that registers your temperature, so you don't even have to physically take your temperature. Or today I see, you know, a, a thing you put in your ear to do that, to take your basal body temperature. Um, you know, it's all trying to make the algorithms so sophisticated that eventually they will be predictive. So they will know your body better than you
0: know your body is the idea, right? Right, right. And just so more that,
1: and more, yeah. Yeah, all, all of that basically means, you know, that you're, you're kind of on the fast track towards body sensors, really, where we will... Have something that you wear, or eventually probably even Im- embeddable, that will tell you, you know, your temperature on a given day, um and help you interpret your ch- fertility signs and changes that perhaps at this point would be invisible to you on a daily basis in your own home that you're doing if you were just engaging in it yourself. So you know, it's it's that's the other side of it. I think that's coming through now and. So, you know, where we used to kind of fix on the the pill or, you know, the devices, like the IUD, we now have
0: Bluetooth to monitor. Amazing. And is that somewhere that you would direct? I know in the book you talk about pill refugees, so people that have come off of the pill, but where are they going? You know, what's, what's their next support? And is that somewhere that you would see those people kind of moving towards? I think right now
1: where the majority are going, if we're being honest, is probably condoms and withdrawal and not really knowing what the hell to do and probably feeling quite lost. I don't think most people are aware of all of their options, but I do think there's a section of that pill refugee group who, yes, have come in through the Period Tracker app um, coverage you know because it's been massively covered by the media and um, mostly incorrectly and wrongly, which isn't very helpful but it has been covered and so so coming in through that hopefully finding the apps that are actually helpful and supportive yeah. I hope not always unfortunately and then using them to kind of figure out their cycles um, unfortunately I don't think a lot of them are getting actual Education from trained professionals, which is really you know at least a couple of classes is kind of essential right um and then you know yes, then they're kind they're definitely being attracted to and appealed to by these um these new elements these these bluetooth thermometers and these sensors and these things that you know that can really kind of come can be used by women to understand their bodies but kind of allow them to feel a a distance that they're comfortable with I think in some ways that women still can't quite get to get the (laughs) really in there with what's going on on their own and still and be able to trust themselves in a way so yes I think I I think that there are more women going towards that there's certainly a you know, massive proliferation of companies coming up, so obviously they see that there's there's money in it, you know? Right. Um, and that tends to mean that they think there's an audience and there's, there's people who are going to buy into this. So I think so. I mean, personally, I, where I come from with it is I think all women should have that knowledge that, um, you know, they should know that they have a fertile time and a non-fertile time and they should know what those signs are and they should know, you know, to, how to interpret them. I don't know if all women want to use that for contraception, but I think it's definitely important for all women to know for sure. And I do like, you know, the kind of culture it's bringing up as well. I mean, I'm part of a Facebook group of women who, private group of women who talk about fertility awareness method, and it's really interesting because, you know, they share pictures of their cervical mucus and they share pictures of their cervix.
0: Awesome. Yep. I want to be in that group, man. I want to be in that group. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, that's pretty radical totally to go onto on a Facebook
1: private group and see people sharing pictures of their cervical mucus. Incredible.
0: so far away from where we've been and actually i myself am a fertility awareness method coach and i'm also what i what i've been calling a birth control doula which is somebody who kind of walks with you through coming off of birth control oh that's Um, great that's really needed yeah and i really would love to know your thoughts on that because you know reading your book really confirmed to me a lot of things that i had known for a long time and i think it probably did that for many people which is why I feel so emotional about your book. I feel so kind of touched by it and I feel like we're really coming to a place where we are starting to support women in the way that they need to be supported or at mm. least give them options and I think everything is just about having options. Certainly as a birth doula, I could say that. So yeah, I wondered if you could just maybe speak a little bit about you know, your thoughts on fertility awareness method. I know you touched on it and also on, on being a birth control doula. I think being, I think the
1: idea of birth control doozer is amazing. I think that's great. I think that's exactly what we need because the thing is right now, is we have the hormonal birth control, which you know that's e- pretty easily accessible to most women within the US. Or you, but then you have fertility awareness instructors, and you have um, apps, and you have um, all the new technology. What we have, and I've just written about this recently, is the gap where women coming off hormonal birth control and wanting to use these things or know those or learn more about these things at least and learn about fertility awareness. And that gap is, first of all, when women are most at risk of having an unplanned pregnancy.
0: And okay.
1: and when they're not getting support, generally, usually from their healthcare provider, usually the message they're getting from the healthcare provider is uh, if you're not wanting to have children, you kind of have to find another um, pill or another you know long-term device to use. And so you are kind of in the woods a little bit, and you know going online, and googling is only going to get you so far um and you know the one thing that i notice is whenever you have an article online that's like talks about pill side effects or coming off the pill always has so many comments and women talking to each yes. other and you know wanting to support each other and share tips and things that they've learned and products that they're using and you know the other thing that makes it really important is that that is the time when things can happen like you can get really really bad acne for example that makes you want to do, just go back on the pill, even though you know it doesn't make you feel good and you know you've had side effects and you really don't want to be on it. You really don't want to have acne and feel terrible, right? So you do need someone. You need, (laughs) because it's, you know, I get, you know, a lot of messages from women going, when will this be over? You know, when will this part be over? And I feel really bad for them because I'm like, you know, they're, uh, they're doing something that they feel is right for them. And then this thing happens where it's like a built in kind of a built in uh withdrawal period where you your your loyalty is tested you know where it's like you must go back on this drug because this is your real life and it sucks you know it's it's not really fair um so I think that's wonderful, and I think you know that's something that um definitely needs to be highlighted in the documentary as well you know because. I think that's so important and you know we, we a lot of women come off and they don't even get a regular cycle for months years sometimes and mm-hmm. so we can't expect them to go oh you know it's just used to this awareness and so well they can't because they don't even know what's going on they don't you know they may never do I had friends who didn't get a period back for a year and a half after they got off their pill. So yes, I think that's very important, (laughs) and um, I'm very glad you're doing that. I hope more people end up doing that. I think that's that would be great. And um, yeah, I just think that you know I personally kind of got into it early on, and then I used condoms, and then I kind of fell out of using it. Kind of you know, like literally. tracking every day to only tracking some part of the month and you know it just for me it varies and that's the other thing is like it it, you know your sex life changes and your life changes and you know these things have to be fluid um you know but if you have that knowledge and that information then at least for me it's very important because I'm not scared of getting pregnant anymore (laughs) Whereas before I was always just so fearful and that really underscored my kind of experience of that part of my life. Um and now I don't feel like that. Because okay. I know I know that I would know what was going on and I know that, you know, I'd know when I needed to take action and, you know, it wouldn't be it would be something that I was aware of. So I just think that's so important because I think it really releases women from being scared of their bodies and held a little bit ransom to in when it comes to sexual relationships as well, where, you know, they can't be fully free because they don't
0: have that knowledge, I think. Right. It really, that that information and that um, awareness of your body really takes some of the fear away, and that's certainly what I've seen, you know, speaking to women. There are there is huge complexities in their relationship with this with this particular drug that women are taking.
1: On a daily basis,
0: and not even naming it as a drug or as anything that they're even taking, and not even remembering that they're taking it. Um, I just wanted to go back to the to the movie and allow you to sort of speak about that a little bit because I I, yeah. I feel it's going to be a really important movie and and movement. Could you could you speak a little bit more about that and maybe about Ricky and Abby also? Yeah, of course. Well, um, it was a very
1: what happened really was that I was actually still writing the book. And I was writing in my book, as you know, about the business of being born, having watched it about six months previously, and realizing kind of, you know, when you, it's kind of the same thing in a different context. And it's what you really need in the women's health movement and in the women's movement more generally, is people making connections between things, right? This isn't just about birth. It's not just about how women are treated in menopause, you know, it's, all connected (laughs) it's all about how women are treated generally and women yeah you know it's like you have to see it as a whole thing you can't see it as a problem with the birth industry or a problem with the contraceptive industry or a problem with the fashion industry you know it's not it's it's the problem with how we treat women and um yeah so I started writing about it and I thought well you know, maybe i would be interested in reading it, so I, I sent the um, manuscript to Abby Epstein, who's the director of the business of Being Born, and she works with Ricky Lake as the executive producer on, you know, I knew they'd done the business of Being Born, I didn't really know if they'd done anything since then, or even wanted to do anything, and so I sent it to her, and about two weeks later, she actually emailed me and said, oh, you know, I." um thanks for getting in touch I got the manuscript but it's kind of huge to lug around can you send me um the book when it's out and I was like yeah yeah, that's that's fine um the book's not going to be out for a while so I ended up sending her the book and I think it probably she didn't get around to even picking it up for about six months I think (laughs) and um I was in constantly like, I had a little like uh, every few weeks I'd have a reminder to myself: email Abby, email Abby, email Abby. I'm a freelance journalist. So persistence is key. Persistence is the only way I pay the rent and live. So I have to just I just kept emailing her. <laughs> I mean, like hello, you know, with new things to say. And um, and then you know I actually started trying to make the documentary myself in LA with a group of women who were involved in different ways in the film industry and we started shooting and we started trying to make this documentary that was going to be like the business of being born but about birth control and it was very very hard because we didn't have any money and we didn't have any time and uh, we were thinking about you know aiming towards maybe doing a kickstarter campaign and we Actually, Abby then emailed us and she said, you know, that she wanted to come into L.A. to see Ricky and meet up with her. And I met up with Abby and I had some time, so it was very, very short notice. I met up with Abby and Ricky. I took my book. I went to Ricky's house and I pitched for about two and a half hours. (laughs) I was like, this is is the film you have to make. It was like 9 o'clock on a Friday morning and I just pitched. And then by the end, they were like, yeah, we're going to do it. Okay, so that's very, very exciting. But just to show you kind of the context of why we got to the Kickstarter point with this um, last month, we got a little bit of money from an associate of Ricky's who wanted to support the project, felt very strongly about it. And we made a trailer, but, you know, that was maybe two, three days of filming. And then there was a year that went by when Abby and Ricky went to every single place, you know, like the Netflix and the HBO and CNN. And everybody was super enthusiastic, but nobody wanted to back it because it's not not corporate friendly. You know, you know how many in advertising terms, the pharmaceutical industry is the biggest industry for advertising money. So they don't want to do that. It doesn't make any sense. I'm going to make them any money. So we finally got to a point where I was like okay I think we just have to bite the bullet and do the kickstarter campaign and they really were like oh, you think that's going to work and I was like I was just like yeah and if it doesn't blame me it's going to work and if it doesn't we won't make the film you know that will be the tri- that will be the test we'll do it and if it doesn't we don't make the money then obviously we don't make the film and that's it we'll move on with our lives and it worked That was I do not know how, but it did.
0: Oh, you're making me cry. That's and thank you so much for doing that from so many women. It's so important. I think that's so. Yeah, I
1: mean, I just had this belief that there are enough women out there who had gone through what I went through, and felt strongly enough about it. Had not even enough women had read my book because you know my book hasn't sold you know millions or anything. I just thought. There's enough women who are going to go, yeah, actually, I want to see this. And I thought it's probably going to be a rollercoaster ride of controversy. And, you know, I'd kind of been through the ringer with it, with the book, and I wasn't really up for that. It was probably one of the most stressful months of my life, I would say. (laughs) I didn't really sleep, but... Um, it works. We got the money. We're making the film. And now, you know, because we got so many backers um, and we managed to exceed our goal, that gives a massively strong message to future distributors and, you know, all that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's going to get made, which is, you know, which yes. is more than I could have yes. ever imagined when the book came out, of course. I never thought that you know, Ricky Lake and time would make documentary. It was just something I thought was worth asking.
0: Wow. Amazing story. Totally amazing hmm. story. And just you know, just just help how I mean this is the whole the whole goal of this podcast really is medicinal stories and I feel that yours is so medicinal to so many women. and and stories in themselves are medicinal. I mean words help other people. That's why we tell our stories and share our experience because hmm we want to help each other. And this just feels so important. So thank you so much for doing that. Um, I think we're going to, we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much for sharing, you know, all of this great information with us. We really hope to stay in touch with you. And yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah,
1: well, thank you very much for having me. It was nice talking to you. Thank you. And thanks
0: for